Hey, welcome to Guitar Knobs, the guitars, gear, noise, and nonsense podcast hosted today by these knobs. Aaron Cook. Hefe. <laughs> That's the first time you've ever <laughs> called I know, yourself Hefe. I, I love it. So I had to That's try. what I call you. Uh, and me, Todd Novak. And also a guest knob. I'm Chris Graham. Visiting by the alias Pistachio Gonzalez. <laughs> when I'm <laughs> trying to prank somebody. <laughs> Noted. Craigslist. <laughs> yes. If you get anybody, Craigslist uh, prankster. Yes. Pistachio <laughs> Gonzalez. <laughs> so Gonzalez. Chris is joining us uh, uh, again for. It's not really a part two. Maybe it's just an extension. Um, I like extensions. I yeah, that's a whole other. I know you do too. Oh yeah. man. Um. So an extension on our last talk where we, we, we kind of dipped into a few aspects of what he does. Uh, Chris, he's a, a music masterer, a master music Indeed. masterer, a music master, master rumor, a master of musics. Indeed. Okay. So we've got a lot of questions for you. Um, two of us, Hefe has all the questions. Hefe and Cookie are both, uh, really, um, heavily into home recording um i want to say heavily mediumly okay mediumly okay mediumly into um more home recording aspects i'm more into live setup um and i definitely want to know how like the things that you have uh learned from you know we kind of touched on on your history and how you got here, what might be worth touching on that one more time. Um, and, and trying to discern how the things that you have, um, gained from your knowledge, like how do they apply to, um, people like, like me or like cookie or Hefe or anybody else who is listening, who probably isn't a master or a, a professional sound engineer. How do the how do the 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 skills um, and and the the, the um, experience that you have how can we apply that to what we might do in our home recording mm. uh, what we might do in live setup or how we might even just do it for hot for you know hey if if you don't do any of those and you just like playing as a hobbyist like what are some things that we can apply based on what you do to nor like regular Joe's guitars and gear. Yeah. Well, I think as, as far as the guitar conversation goes, um, I'm sure probably 70, 80%, you know, people that are listening that are guitar players probably have some sort of recording gear, you know, or hobby or their next door neighbor does or the guy in their band does or whatever. So, um, I think if you, if you don't, you should, because it definitely makes you a better player. It's mm. difficult to play, think about playing, think about what you need to play next, and to evaluate, am I doing a good job at this? Mm-hmm. And maybe even singing at the same time. So Yeah. Rec- it, recording, I remember the first time I ever tracked uh, bass or guitar. What an experience that was. Like it, it, My head was just in a different space altogether, and yeah. I sucked at it. I, th- I truly think that there's a skill at tracking guitar. Oh, absolutely. As a performer. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's... That's it's, why you have session musicians, right? Yeah. No. Well, <laughs> yeah. For other reasons. Okay. 
it's difficult. And I think the thing that, that I think it's important that you zoom out uh, when you're recording and think about why are you recording? What's the point of a recording? Uh, what's it for? And I think you got to answer that question first and foremost. And the point is to communicate with other people. Whether you're trying to share an experience, mm. <laughs> whether you're trying to share an experience that you've had with them, or whether you're trying to uh, you have a message that you want to communicate to them, or or, or uh, you're telling a story or whatever, it's this thing that we do as humans that helps us relate to one another in an incredibly powerful and mysterious way. So when you're recording, I think the the biggest thing that I see as a mastering engineer um, is, is there's only a couple. There's only a couple mistakes, honestly, that I see that I see them again and again and again. Ninety-nine point nine percent of the mistakes that I see are all are all you know one of three or four or five. And uh, as I'm mastering, you know, part of mastering is I'm taking a whole record, you know, maybe ten songs, and I'm making sure that when someone listens to that record, that it's been mastered and compressed and optimized in a way where someone can listen to it from front to back from track being a track one to the end of track 10 and they never leave the space that the record takes them and that there's never any moment where you know in film they they call it the uh, suspension of disbelief so when you're listening to a record it's sort of like watching a movie and it takes you somewhere and if it's not mastered well you suddenly remember oh this is a recording and that was kind of weird that they just did that and that sounded kind of odd mm. you know I'm, i've left that world mm-hmm. and it's not pleasant nobody likes to do that especially if you're listening with headphones you know and you're kind of dead to the world so what i noticed that a lot of people do is that they forget that the point of a recording is to communicate emotion and they start getting so obsessed with oh i'm gonna tweak the guitars like this i'm gonna edit the drums like this i'm gonna do all these things and make it perfect and suck all the emotion out of it. And that sort of, uh, I don't know if it's ego or the opposite of ego. I want it to be perfect. Uh, it's just intense when you put in a recording out there in the real it's world. It's a little bit of fear, really. Oh, it's terrifying. You know, yeah, because you, you've got a lot invested in that. Yeah. And the idea that you might put that out there and then have to make an apology yeah, it's for fear, whatever, yeah. you know, You're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get to that. I'm, uh, well, it's not quite, it's like, yeah, that's awful. Right. It's a vulnerability. It's almost like being naked in public. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's like posting in a nude emotional photo. It's the emotional equivalent of a nude photo on the internet. <laughs> and I, I think Jeff, Jeff has a lot of those. You're, <laughs> but you're naked and every single person that listens to it is going to have an opinion or worse yet. They won't have an opinion because they don't care. Yeah, Indifference exactly. is yeah. the, and eh, whatever is crippling indifference as a musician. That's probably the most crippling thing that you can encounter. Yeah. Even even so much more than like, if someone says they hate it, that means they at least listen to it and yep. they have an opinion and you can at least have a conversation. Yeah. But, oh man, indifference. Oof. It's tough. Oh yeah. It's indifference is by far the worst. Yeah. Especially, thanks for, thanks for, we covered that. We agreed cookie. already. Minutes I might agree. I might not. Wait, I don't really. Are no. you saying that indifference <laughs> is, is the worst? <laughs> Let me, I'm so confused. Now. Let me continue. <laughs> is that, you know, especially when you see indifference from your friends, like you share oh, this recording. Oh, how yeah. come you're looking straight at me? That's like a kick in no, the but nuts. It's, yeah, but they're the nuts. To, right to your face. Like, yeah, or the knobs. Really, or the knobs. Oh, <laughs> yes. yeah. You know, so that they're trying to stroke your ego 
When it's like, dude, if you're indifferent, just own it. I would be much more comfortable with you owning your indifference than telling me like, yeah, I... I think it's good. Yeah, it's good. And Way you can go. see right through it. Yeah. At least that's me. Hmm. Yeah. It's terrifying. You, you show a buddy something you recorded and they give you the, yeah, that sounds great, man. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's, that's good luck with that, man. Awesome, dude. I hope someone so, likes that. Can we, <laughs> uh, we have so many areas to dive into, um, but can you give, wait, there's a couple more that you, I wanted to make sure we get back to like, there's three or four things that. Yeah, there is. But I want to make sure that it, whoever's listening who still doesn't know what a master rarer is, a layman's definition of what that is and how that is different from a recording engineer or, or a mixing. Mix engineer, yeah. So uh, when you go to the studio, um, an audio engineer is the guy who's plugging the microphones in and turning stuff up and turning stuff down and pressing the little red button. He's the audio engineer. The mixing engineer is a guy that then goes back and turns every individual thing up and down at the right times and, you know, makes it bassier, makes it more trebly or, you know, compresses it and makes it less dynamic so that the louder parts are closer to the quieter parts or, you know, whatever. Once it's been mixed, um, then it needs to be mastered. Mastered is takes just the two track output of the entire recording and optimizes it using compression, multi-man compression, uh, EQ limiting, and a whole other bag of voodoo magic. And essentially the goal of the mastering engineer is to make sure that the recording sounds good everywhere, that it's portable. So the hardest thing to do in a mix is to make a mix that's portable, that sounds good in a variety of speakers. By far, it's the hardest thing. And uh, the mastering engineer helps make sure it's portable, but they also try to bring out the soul of the song so that when you're listening back to the recording, that the intent and the emotion of the artist is presented in the most clear way. And the, the big thing there to keep in mind um, is that, I, th I think we mentioned this in the last episode, is that most people that are doing home recording believe that making a professional recording means I'm going to record, mix, and master myself. And the final product, how it compares to commercial music is how good I did. Not true. Every professional mix engineer worth his salt that's mixing hit records all over the world for the past 30 years is hiring somebody else to master it. They mix it, they bounce it down to a single stereo file for each song in 90% of the cases, and then they send that single file, in some cases it's a few files, right. to, the, to the mastering engineer, and then the mastering engineer puts that finishing touch on it. And one of the benefits of the mastering engineer as well is the scariest part of recording is clicking the upload button. You know, is, all right, I'm, I'm committed to this. I'm putting it out there, and then I'm going to wait and see if anyone comments mm -hmm. on the Facebook page or whatever. A mastering engineer is the last line of defense to say, bro, this is garbage. You might want to um, <laughs> start over. You might want to adjust that. Or, wow, your bass is so loud. Or, wow, your vocals are so quiet because you're so self-conscious about your recording. Right. And for a mastering engineer, you know, any, any mastering engineer that is making a career out of it is doing at least an, a, an album a day, you know, probably five days a week. So, you know, because guys that master for a living do this all day, they can spot a record right. that could be subtly improved and whether they're doing the subtle improving through mastering or whether they're saying, Hey, before we do this, you might want to turn the vocal up a little bit, or you might want to, um, 
use a, a high pass filter on your vocals. So that's interesting in the idea that you listen to so much uh, different types of music. Some of it could be complete garbage and some of it could be complete beautiful amazing oh, absolutely. stuff. Yeah. Do you ever decline certain type um, of things or do you ever tell the, the I will, person that I yeah, it's not very good? I, I mean, will do you put any bias on that? Never decline um, a client for their art. For their content, if I think it's something that is socially mm-hmm. destructive, um, I do turn those people down. And uh, I hate it. It's super awkward. Yeah. Like Kanye? Well, <laughs> Kanye S. I Sorry, I said I wasn't going to, but <laughs> that was, that yeah, was a perfect opportunity. Okay, that's it. But yeah, if it's, if it's like, you know, advocating... Yeah, just weird stuff that's not yeah types of violence not, and stuff. Enter yeah. enter your own whatever disturbs you <laughs> yeah. into the uh, blank. Yeah, so you know, I'll if that happens, I'll politely say I'm sorry, I can't put my name on this because yeah. it puts my name on it, and then right. I'm out there and kind of sort of Makes maybe sense. conceivably endorsing it. So right. and helping them spread it because it sounds better now, right? And <laughs> it's going to be a little so, more commercially successful. I have a I. I, I want to know sexful. Sexful. It's our goal to be sexful. <laughs> I don't master any songs with sexfulness in them. So. No, you need a Rhodes piano for that. Hey, hey. oh, uh, <laughs> inside joke. Um, so, okay, in the scenario that you say, "Wow, um, this needs this adjustment," or you know, you've got a, a a list of things that that you need to do. If it's something that there's the sound engineer. Um, the artist, I'm assuming there's a producer involved. Sometimes. Sometimes has all said, check, 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 send it to the master. And you say, whoa, wait a minute. At that point, it, it, do you gather everybody back around? Do you just do it? Well, or that's, who's the point? On so that? what I do is uh, when anyone, when anytime somebody sends me a project, I have like a web form that I haven't filled out. And one of the questions is, do you want my feedback before we get started? Because there's always going to be occasions when it's like, we are crazy and we booked our CD release show and it's in two days and we're sending you the, mm-hmm. we're pulling a Kanye. See what he just did on, oh, on dream. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, uh, he's going to appear now. Three times. <laughs> three times. So there's definitely, I asked straight up, do you want my feedback? And almost everybody says yes to that. Um, Sometimes it's just technical stuff or your your music is too loud and it's clipping and causing distortion and hey, this is an easy thing to fix. Sometimes it's, um, hey, your vocal's a little too quiet or hey, um, it, well, let me, let me back up. Let me bring this back kind of towards the kind of home recordist, hobbyist. Most of the time um, when I'm getting a project that's recorded at home, which is more and more and more, the, as far as the music industry goes, the biggest place of growth, I don't know why this isn't in any articles I've read, hands down is in the home studio world mm-hmm. hands down there are millions and millions of dollars maybe billions being spent on home recording stuff oh, yeah it is growing like crazy gear apps gear it's apps it's, plugins it's cheaper and easier software to do. yeah computers everything so as a mastering engineer that's it's a good time to be a mastering engineer right now and the biggest thing that i notice for people that are just starting out is very I would say four times out of five when I get a project like this where it's their first record and they're trying to mix it themselves, it's not that they didn't do enough. 
in the mix. It said they did way, way too much. much. Yeah. Way too much. And, you know, all the times, especially on vocals, I'll say, hey, would you send me a screenshot of your EQ? And they'll be like, oh, I boosted, yeah. you know, <laughs> 79 dB at, at 10K, and then I cut 1,000 dB at 9K, you know, and just these really aggressive, um, you know, moves you know, when they're trying to, to eat, particularly with EQ. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. uh, so that's one of the biggest things that I see that holds kind of the hobbyist back. I've got a guitar, I've got a recording interface, maybe I've got GarageBand or Logic or, you know, whatever I'm making some music and then they just get so obsessed. They don't really know what they're doing. So they do more of it. Right. In the hopes that yeah. that will make it better. Yep. It's and a, it's a that's always a learning curve to try to figure out all that stuff. That yeah. Well, there's in, in recording, there's, there's what's called a back. I'm going to say it wrong. I'm having a brain fart. Back cell. EQ curve and essentially it's what was used on like every record up until the 70s or so it's very gentle and when you EQ something and it's not gentle you can kind of imagine just a very gentle slope just sort of goes up a little bit there's no like sharp angles or pointy lines up and down that sounds better because on an EQ 99% of them 90% of them or so when you're aggressive with EQ you get resonances yeah and that ends up sounding really bad. Explain that a little bit for so, us. So, um, I mean, it's it's like a cup, you know. There's like a, oh, at a certain frequency that yep. just sort of rings. It comes that annoying <clears throat> sound that you hate. Oh, yeah. There it is. In every okay. frequency. Bring it right. down. Yeah. yeah. So, what I'm, I was running a record this morning. Um, I do like a mixed consultation for people that want it when they're working on, when I'm mastering a record for them. And this guy, um, he's recorded a song uh, that he wants to have mastered. Um, and he's using, he was using two EQ plugins on his vocals. Wait, on the same track? On the same track. And he's doing like Why? different. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. You know, so it's my advice immediately was be much more gentle, delete one of the plugins, do the EQ. <laughs> with one plug in and just don't go like you can't say I, I don't really like this resonance in my voice I'm going to EQ it out it doesn't work that way that's a good point and a lot of people think that it's more surgical than it is right and even if it was as surgical as a lot of people would like to believe if you don't know what you're doing they're using the wrong type of EQ yeah just be be gentle so um, yeah the, one of the biggest things I notice in people that are just kind of starting out and recording themselves is that they're extremely aggressive. So that's number two. That's number two. Um, let's let me, let me think of some more here. You don't, this, if you don't have them, that's fine. Oh, I do. Okay. I do. Um, the big Wait, thing. While he's thinking of oh, it, I want to ask fine. a question. Go ahead. It's Go ahead. I'm super curious about. So you're probably getting a lot of mixes. Like, hey, I'm home recording guy. <clears throat> I want you to master this album for me. And so here's twelve tracks, um, and all of them have different sounding. Your different characteristics of the mix. Yes. That how, hands, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Well, um, luckily, it's not as much of an issue as you would think it would be. Okay. Um, thank God. So the hardest thing as a mastering engineer is when somebody's mixed a record and every song is mixed totally different. And each song has unique issues. You know, one song has a really, really bright vocal and the other has a really, really dark vocal and the other has you know, uh, really, really harsh acoustic guitars. And the other has really cloudy, murky, boomy acoustic guitars. So usually what I'll do in a situation like that is I'll say, I'll find a song that sounds good in the record and say, hey, this song sounds pretty good. What did you do there that's different than the other songs? 
and use that as a spot where they can work backwards. And instead of, you don't encounter these people very often, but there are some people who just want to do something different and aggressive right. differently yes. every time that they do it. Yeah. So yeah, as a mastering engineer, it definitely makes my life easier if the mixes are consistent. And a lot of times, even if they aren't great, but if they are consistent, I'm happy. What do, you, what do you consider consistent? Consistent is that when I listen to it from song to song to song, the vocals all sound about the same. Okay. The guitars all sound about the same. The drums all sound about the same. It's not like one song's... And the other song's... Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the consistency So thing, is it more of timbre of instrument or the track versus the plugins or... A lot of times it's just people not knowing how to use an EQ okay. and thinking... And, and they'll sit there and they'll make a, a small adjustment and then they'll twiddle around with the song for an hour, then they'll make another small adjustment, and then another small adjustment. And then two hours later, or two weeks later, they add a little bit more. And through this process, they're not listening to other music from bands that sound good through their monitors right. in their studio, and they completely lose context. Mm, of sight of what, they're, of what they're trying to do. Yeah, and so there's the, those are the two big issues. They've either lost context of how their speakers actually sound, and they're, uh, they're, that's a, that's an EQ resonating there it is. in the background. That, that <laughs> spike. I'm, but, I'm, uh, I'm having fun here at the board. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, there's a, uh, a cleaning crew. <laughs> Keep going. Anyways. So they'll, uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. Um, it's all right. We'll continue. Consistency. Gentle pants. Consistency. Gentle <laughs> yeah. pants. So they'll either go in and be super aggressive. Oh, man. I had such a good thing to it say. It was going to be amazing. I know. That was the point number three. Damn it. That dang. Uh, uh, but they'll, they'll either go in and be really aggressive in the mix. Oh, oh okay. Here we go. All right. Yes. So there it is. We can edit that out later. <laughs> That's possible without no, any no. recording, right? Anyways. No. <laughs> so... Uh, what they'll either do is they'll not be listening to music that they know what it sounds like. So, so say you're working on, say you're doing a folk record and you're not listening and you love James Taylor and you're not listening. You should listen to James Taylor in between mixing sessions to get an idea of what like, sounds start good. Start comparing what you're doing yeah. to what other people So do. it can be incredibly humiliating and uh, that kind of applies to any creative process though exactly I mean exactly. I, we're all in the creative yeah. field yeah. across the table here and that you have to have right a good friend point. of reference and you also uh, so you have to keep that in mind and people fail to do that very often when they're beginning out I'm actually mm-hmm. pretty bad at that I it's, will admit most people are <laughs> yeah. the second thing is that people will very often not only lose reference not have a frame of reference in the studio but they'll lose a frame of reference of how their recording will sound outside of the studio. So all the time I'll get people that are like, yeah, I spent you know $400 on these flat monitors, mm-hmm. the flat frequency response, so that my mixes will be flat. <laughs> and uh, I'm kind of flat. It doesn't exist. If you're wearing a T-shirt versus no shirt, that changes the frequency response of your mixing environment. If your hair is long versus shaved, that changes the frequency response. If you're in a hat, that dramatically changes it. Glasses mm-hmm. dramatically change it. So anyways, I'm nerding out here. The point being is that it. what people will do is not check their mixes outside of the studio. If you haven't checked your mixes outside of the studio, unless you are really experienced as a mix engineer, you've made a bad mix. So like take it out to your car. Take it out to your car. How's it sound in the car? Yeah. That boom box I still have upstairs. Totally. You know? yeah. as, as many speakers as you can get. And what I always recommend, especially for people starting out, is they'll be like, yeah, I'm going to sell my monitors 
and get nicer monitors. And my recommendation is always don't sell your monitors. Whatever you do, don't sell your monitors. Get more. Get more monitors. That's what I tell my wife. I need yes. more speakers. You do need more speakers. <laughs> That's what I tell your wife, too. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. As long as we're ganging up on it, it's fine. Oh, my. Back but to the recordings. Anyways. Yeah, so you, the more speakers that you check it in, the more sure. Because here's the thing. When you're making a recording, from a technology standpoint, what's the point? So it would sound good to everybody. Mm-hmm. But everybody's listening in very different environments uh, with probably very, very different equipment. So a good question is, does your recording sound good in Apple iPod headphones? Right. If it doesn't, there's a lot of people that are not going to like how your record sounds. Mm-hmm. So you probably should check on that. Does it sound good in, you know, if this were the mid-90s, does it sound good in a Bose surround sound system? Okay, yes, it sounds good there. If you can get your mix to sound good in a variety of environments through a variety of speakers, it's probably a good mix. And so... Okay, with that logic, I mean, in in almost anything else that we would apply that logic to, it would then become vanilla ice cream. It wouldn't have any. It wouldn't have any characteristic that you lock on to. I, I and I'm not Possibly. disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, like, if you applied a common mentality to that argument, it would mean that everything would just be flat and nothing and and you know well not necessarily i I think the the issue here is is you can imagine you know i know know, uh with graphic design Mm -hmm. if you can imagine you know for for us basically everybody has an iphone Mm -hmm. and their screen looks basically about the same and the colors are going to render basically the same yeah in audio it's not like that at all it would be like as if it's actually not we face the same issue completely so i'm i 100 percent agree with you on that i'm i'm looking to elaborate on the argument of why that isn't actually a bad thing to nor i guess to maybe normalize that gotcha maybe, right you know what i'm saying well the big issue is that um <clears throat> your or the you want to think about this or not when you're recording is that the way people perceive your music is going to have a lot to do with the average of how every speaker system it's going to be listened to mm-hmm. sounds so and, and that comes back to this portability issue that we brought up before. If the mix doesn't sound good on giant club speakers, on iPhone speakers, on a MacBook, on iPod headphones, on, you know, whatever, right. then it's not a good mix. And the reason they pay the big bucks to the guys that, that mix professionally is because they tend to be better at making mixes sound better in a wider variety of... Uh, Sorry, this EQ is a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah dude, you guys killing me right now. But I don't know. He's not actually hacking. He's on his phone right now. That's a different. That's, no, that's uh, yeah, that's uh, not him. Um, hang on, we're gonna pause just for one second, and we're back. <laughs> Sorry, we had some uh, interruptions there, but um, so I, I'm just gonna ask a, a question to to bring this back to the um, home studio folks. So. You've taken the time, you spent, you know, a couple weeks, a couple months, hopefully not a couple days, <laughs> creating, uh, you know, uh, uh, this a uh, couple tracks, and um, you're ready to get them out on on your channel of choice onto the interweb, um, or even just, you know, old school on, on a disc or something, and you just want to get it to people. Cassette. Cassette. Hey, yeah. making a comeback. Let's do it. Um, so... Your next step, I think, for most people, would just be, cool, upload it. But 
anybody that's that has done those home recordings knows inherently there's something off and you and going back to that vulnerability standpoint you know that you're going to have to make some apologies couch yeah, it somehow we're, we're, say well it's <clears throat> still not blah, 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 right it's an extra layer on top of the art that you created you right. messed up the production of your art right but the general the, the general person doing this at home the you or the me or anybody that's listening i did i don't think that their next step is man i gotta i have to contact a master rower yeah. to do this so what in your like what what is your advice on on how you yeah. would proceed with so that? um i'll address that in two ways uh me two and a half ways so first of all um most mastering engineers that are uh, on the lower end of the spectrum and the middle and the upper middle end of the spe- spectrum as far as price-wise will almost certainly do a free sample for you. Um, my advice is if you have no intention of hiring them is that you still ask for a free sample. And then at least you know, oh, okay, that's what... That's what's ma- supposed to say. That's it's a reference. It's, oh, it's, a, ref- it's a, re- a reference. Masterers around the world are... Well, th- yes. Yes and no. Here's, here's the catch. Um, my business model as a mastering engineer is the drug dealer business model. Mm. If I give you a free taste, you're probably going to buy a lot of product from me. So, And that's every mastering engineer's business model for the most part, unless you're crazy established and your reputation. That's the Aaron's dating business model too, right? <laughs> free samples. <Yeah>. Free samples. <laughs> so I, I would say do that. Even if you don't intend to hire somebody, just Google mastering. If you Google Chris Graham mastering. Plug a Roni. Plug a Roni. That's a, a that great meat. thing to do. And even if you don't think you want to have your record mastered professionally, <laughs> A lot of people end up doing it after they hear it and say, wow, I didn't know it could sound that good. Right. Second thing, uh, and I, I would also recommend that you send it to um, as many mastering engineers as you have time to. Send it at least to a few. Some are really bad. Some are really good. Some are really expensive and really bad. Some are really expensive and really good. And all stripes in between. So I would say do that. Um, let's say you are in an environment where you are absolutely not comfortable with asking for a free sample or whatever. I would say, surely you have a few buddies that also record music. I would say go to them. Let's say you got three buddies. Give them each the WAV file or the AIF or whatever and say, hey, I'd like each of you to master my song and I'll master it too and we're going to do a blind shootout and see who oh, does the best that's job. That's really cool. Yeah. When you master yourself, I would be shocked unless you are much smarter than your friends if if yours will be the best. Just on bias alone, it's so hard to know what to do right. when it's your own music and your own mix and that's, your own That's master. interesting because you're going to have your own natural bias because you spend yeah. so much time doing that and you're going to say wow, that one sounded better or not because that's not what I was trying to get. Yeah. Not what I was after. Well, so you got to be super humble in that as yeah. well. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's the point is that it, it brings you back to reality here. And the problem with that, here's, here's the catch, is there's a saying in, in the recording industry, you never finish a record, you give up. And <laughs> right. it's very, very, or you run very out of money. true. Or you run out of money. <laughs> and, and it's very, very, very true for people that record at home. And sometimes when you do a buddy shootout, you might have a situation where you, know, you get a little too much feedback. 
And that yeah. stalls you out and yeah. steals the wind out of your sails and, and crushes you emotionally. And Well, it's good to have at cry. least an agreement with those people because I think the, the other natural reaction to, to whenever you put any kind of sub, work that is subjective in nature in front of anybody, and we know this based on our profession, I'm sure. their knee-jerk reaction is, in order for my next step is I have to have input. I have to, whether it's out of authority, whether it's out of a, a contractual agreement, um, and and thereby doing more than is necessary in totally. most cases. Yes. So, so, so <laughs> we all, we've all suffered. Everybody yes. at this table suffered from that. Um, and I think, so... I would say if if you do have those friends, like have a have a standing agreement of you know being gentle, I guess with with that approach. Back to the pants. Back to the pants. Um, gentle pants. <laughs> yeah, we're somebody now. Somebody's gonna make those and like send them to you. Now. I might. It's gonna be amazing. I might buy Maybe some, you should buy some sweatpants and then screen print. Nice. Something gentle. I, in my mind, it was embroidered. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I don't do embroidery. I do screen yeah. printing. <laughs> embroidered, okay, and, well, embroidered yeah. cutouts, to be, specific, to be even more specific. But anyway, so my, my point is that if you, if you have that common trust group and you know each other's ears and you know each other's taste in music, then there isn't the, the necessary need, whether it be you know ego, ego or fear of not doing enough or doing it better, that is going to complicate that, you know? So if I give it to Aaron or if I give it to Jeff or if I give it to you, I understand that you guys are going to do what's necessary, not anything more. We're not going to hurt you. And an effort to just say, I think this is going to make it sound better. It may not even be the end result. But if if I give my track to you three and then all three, three of you, have some different things going on, but collectively you guys all drop the bass out of my track for whatever reason. Then it's like, okay, clearly I need to address that. Yep. Um, you will learn. Yeah. yeah. From the experience. That's a, yeah. that's a really great idea. Yeah. And there's, I mean, most people, I think it's probably safe to say, you know, somebody, if you're playing music, you know, somebody else is playing music too. And as you were saying, if you are playing music in this, day and age you're probably doing a computer home recording or something like that they are as well yep um yeah that's that's i think that's good solid advice there um from you not me i wasn't saying that you know yeah, what i mean wait a <laughs> I just, like your thoughts. Well, there's um there's a trick that i learned when i first got into audio you know going back to the thing of people just want to have input exactly so they can feel better about themselves and mm-hmm. it's not necessarily good and a good artist knows how to balance that. And um, so there's, I guess, maybe two stories with it. When I was first getting into audio, I had a gig doing sound at a coffee shop. And people would say... (laughs) Riveting. Yamaha. Riveting. (laughs) It was a nice coffee shop. It had a great PA system, huge board uh, with lots... We we even had eight channels of compression in this coffee shop. The guy was a studio owner, and he was awesome. Uh, And he he was my mentor. And uh, he... He said, now, when someone says to you, hey, could you add some more highs to my voice? Reach up to the board, pretend to grab the knob, and pretend to turn it, and then say, how's that? Oh, yeah. 
100 percent of the time the person will say oh it's so much better thank you so much yeah <laughs> and it's but it goes back to this idea and i think it was da vinci had the same issue and he was you know with the medicis he had you know um patreon uh what's the word i'm looking for a patron a patron who would pay him right. to make the art and they'd walk in when he was making a sculpture and he would say oh he would stand at the you know the medicis or whatever would stand underneath the sculpture this huge man and would look up look up at it and say oh his nose looks too big and like, of course his nose looks too big you're underneath him and da vinci would walk up and he would just kind of grab a little bit of dust in his hand and then take the the chisel up, put it next to the nose, and go like and hit it, and go tink tink tink. Let some dust fall, and then let some dust fall right on the Medici's below them. And then he would say, "How's that look?" And they would go, "Oh, so much better. That's oh, awesome. that's awesome. I love that story." And uh, so yeah, I mean, there, there's that's definitely. I think when you're making great art, you have to balance. That's man, that's so hard. So hard. Hmm. That's uh. Good. <laughs> I wish we had a way Good to actually job. do that in a in a more marketing and advertising sense. Yeah, yeah. Not that not that we do that full time, or maybe we do. I'm not sure, but yeah, it's a little. That's a little tougher to do in our our shows. But uh, safe to say, I think we've all tried ways of of doing that. But that 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 makes a lot of sense. So. Um, Real quick, how if you're if you're taking the approach of okay, I'm gonna do my best to get this um, to get this done right. What um, and and you know that you know you you're probably not going to be able to afford um, some top line master or, or you know mastering engineer. Um, are there any steps that you can take to actually uh, to actually get get the right gear, get the right plugins, like like what is what's some advice around yeah, that? Yeah, well, the gear, the gear, totally. So I would the say gear. if you are mastering your own music or you're mastering your buddies, um, the first choice you need to make as a mastering engineer is how am I going to approach the loudness war? Mm-hmm. Is loudness more important than great art, or is great art more important than loudness? And obviously, a really good mastering engineer is going to be able to give you both to some degree. Um, and it depends, you know, on the genre and the mix and all that. I would say um, that if you're mastering your own music, be gentle. Don't go for loudness. Don't crush it. Don't try to make it as loud as the CDs you listen to. And just remember, if you spent 200 bucks on your audio interface and 200 bucks on your mic and you got, you know, a thousand bucks or a couple thousand dollars worth of gear... The people you're competing with, you're competing with probably uh, a team of at least six people. Each person specializes in whatever particular role they have, who does nothing but this all day long and has for years, and has so much gear and so much specialized tools. Uh, so I would say just be gentle. And it's not very difficult to make a decent master that's really, really, really quiet. Like how quiet on it? Considerably quieter than commercial levels. Like under like negative three. Well, DBs um, or <laughs> he's asking because he's been fighting this loudness war over the last couple of days. Maybe, 
Maybe. <laughs> well, that's the thing. As I would say, just recognize the que- the question you have to ask yourself if you're a professional master and engineer. I sit down to a project. How am I going to approach the the loudness war? Am I going to try to squash this and make it super loud, or am I going to try to move more towards an artistic? I want I want people to weep when they hear this, and they won't weep if it's crushed. And so, get a limiter. You know, get a decent limiter, put it at the, at the last plug-in in your chain, and get it so you're seeing a little bit of gain reduction. That little meter that goes backwards, Yeah. just see, just get that to kiss. So just one, two, three dB of gain reduction. <laughs> Don't. Just, <laughs> just get a little bit of that, and that's going to get it up to, it's at least going to hit zero. Zero is the loudest you can be in digital audio. And right. I'll probably pull it back so it's hitting like negative one. Or excuse me, like negative point one, negative point two. Pretty much everything I master is mastered to peak at negative point three. Wow. That gives me a little bit of room, um, even uh, if something crazy is going on in the audio where there's not going to be as much inner sample clipping when it gets converted. So just be gentle, don't be too aggressive, and have a shootout with pros and your buddies. What if? What if we tried to play the loudness war with our mix? And so we hand the stuff over to you, and we have not given you much headroom. Do you have to do? That's e- that's one of the questions I ask. Is you know, do you want my feedback? And if they're clipping their mix, if their mix, you know, goes way past zero, then I'll definitely say something about that. Or if they've taken a bunch of limiters and put them on each individual track and Ugh. crushed them all individually. You know, and it just looks like a a, a sausage is the uh, <laughs> the waveform is the technical term. Mm. Uh, it's you know slightly tapered at the ends right, and f- right. flat in the middle. That's so awesome. is that actually what they call it? That's or what they, they call, call it. Something That's else. cool. They call it yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, be gentle and just keep in mind the fact that we can in our basements, bedrooms, dorm rooms, garages make something that can be uploaded to the internet and be disseminated across the face of the globe instantaneously for almost no money is just effing cool. It's incredible. And it changed my world back. I remember getting GarageBand. I'm like, this is awesome. Cause I had like some, uh, I had a zip disc. Oh man. Working <laughs> station. I had, had an eight track cassette recorder. You know, people like, just said, what exactly? But I mean, it's like when that came along, completely changed. Changed everything. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so case in point um, <laughs> is uh, who's the guy? So I had a zip disc. The <laughs> Superman, that ho, that rapper. What's his name? Uh, you are asking the wrong crowd, uh, brother. <laughs> anyway, yeah. there's, a, there's a rapper that had a really famous song like two years ago. And uh, what's his name? Soldier Boy. Soldier Boy downloaded. Still don't know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Anyways, it's not good music, but anyways, he he downloaded. Uh, I think it was a cracked version or a free demo version of Fruity Loops, FL Studios is what it's called. Fruity Loops or FL Studio is a brand name, and he used all the stock plugins and all the stock samples, and used that to record himself, and he made a hit record with that. Hmm. So it can be done. It can be done. It is done. Bonnie Vare did basically the same thing a couple years ago. So yeah, it's and not a, about and how it's old house in Minnesota, in Minnesota, like yeah, on a like off on a lake by himself. So it comes so, back to capturing the essence of the song. Yeah, and the song resonates with people. Yeah, really, that's what it comes down to. No it matter should, yeah. how it is actually finally processed and 
put together. If there is magic in there somewhere, someone resonates with it. Uh oh. Just don't ruin the magic is what is what I'm advising. Yeah. You know. <laughs> like that's that's the thing that I run into the most with people that are that are doing it DIY is they do too much and they ruin the magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be gentle. Don't use too much EQ. Don't use too much compression. You know, like just kiss it just a little mm-hmm. bit. If you see it move on the, the gain reduction meter with the compressor, just leave it at that. <laughs> you know, move on. Don't try to get too crazy. Don't worry about making it loud. Just make sure that it's compelling art. I, I want to touch on what Aaron said real quick. I think the headroom um, point was a big one. And I think, you know, when you're when you're first starting out and you're recording um, and, and you hit record and you... And you start seeing your 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 file like load up, and then you hit the guitar, and then you see the spikes go. The first reaction is you want to get those spikes as tall as you can, <laughs> so that they're <laughs> that they're touching. And again, this is not obviously for somebody who spends a lot of time recording, but probably first starting out, or I mean, maybe even if you've just never been told otherwise the object isn't to get the spikes to just touch the top it's to you know have very few or or make yeah. it very slender um spike range right yeah and and that's a lie that's sort of there's a, a very pervasive lie that surrounds that that's sort of on its way out five years ago this was a much different but the world that we grew up in you know the analog world mm-hmm. you had to get healthy signal in the mm-hmm. studio or it sounded terrible yeah there was a very limited area on analog tape that you wanted to hit that sounded great mm-hmm. if it was too loud it distorted like crazy if it was too low it was super hissy and thin mm-hmm. uh, with digital if you hit the top you're dead mm-hmm. it, you're killing the audio and it's distorting if you're way too low you're probably still fine so way better to err on the side of being gentle mm-hmm. and recording too quietly than it is to record too loud. That being said, um, better preamps and better gear make a big difference, particularly with that. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a, we're using an M-Audio interface you know, that's very popular um, right now. There's uh, a company called Apogee who makes something called the um, Duet. It's extremely popular mm-hmm. and fantastic. Yeah. The duet sounds better. It's about six or seven hundred bucks for two mm-hmm. channels. The duet sounds better today than most super high end gear sounded ten years ago. Yeah. It's Crazy. fantastic. And it's super low noise. And it's funny, like I'll get these college kids sometimes that'll send me a record they did in their dorm room on a duet. And then the next day I'll do a record from a pretty decent studio that hasn't updated their gear in ten years. And the duet guy's <laughs> record sounds better. And I'm like, oh, my right. God, what a world. Focus so, Rights, another one that's pretty popular, like yeah. consumer. Uh, I actually you have one of those I have, at home. I have a Focus yeah. Right. There, yeah, the Scarlet is super popular that's yeah. right now. Yeah. Very, very popular. I mean, and way easy to get into from a price point. And, yeah. yeah. You know. Well, I'd say if you're looking to make a better recording, um, better preamps and better converters, which most of the time in a small studio are the same thing. They're part of the interface. Makes a big difference. The uh, Universal Audio Apollo Twin is spectacular. It's like six, seven hundred bucks. Um, the Apogee Duet, which is about the same, is spectacular. It's about the same price. Um, Apogee makes a smaller, 
what's it called? Solo or yeah, I think it's solo. Something, something like that. that. Yeah. It's just a yeah. single channel, but their converters, what actually takes the analog signal from your microphone or well, technically from your preamp and converts it to digital are wildly better than less expensive interfaces. And that makes a huge difference. If you AB that, you would never, ever, ever use an inexpensive converter ever again. They're just spectacular. And the preamp on the Apogee um, and on and on the UAD are both great in that you can get great tone anywhere on the knob. On a, mm-hmm. on a less expensive preamp, you do need to push it. It's not the converter or, this, or the, the volume of the signal in digital that's the issue. It's whether the preamp's in the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Nicer, modern preamps like on the Apogee Duet don't have nearly as much of a sweet spot mm-hmm. as some of like uh so like you know in the late 80s and early 90s everybody used the, the mackie uh right boards yep you gotta gain stage those just right and get the preamp in just the right spot and they sound much better when they're gain stage properly than they do when they're not gain stage properly mm-hmm. on something like the apogee duet you just turn it up and it sounds fantastic it doesn't matter if it's almost clipping or if you're 30 db away from clipping so, Game staging is a whole nother conversation. Whole nother conversation. Oh so, <laughs> but and, and you could add that to this conversation of simple gear. Yes, true. Can make it easier to focus on the emotion, and that's one of the things that I love about the Apogee Duet. They don't pay me or anything. I just they're fantastic. But uh, it's one knob. Yeah. You know, and you Versus turn it four knobs. Yeah, you yeah, push yeah, it. Yeah. Four knobs. Yeah, four knobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so quick question for you. Um, is there so when you're talking about like okay on on a typical song let's say you got you've you've got some sort of drum track whether that is electronic drums from a set so like i actually i have a a, an elisa set at my house i go right into garage band with that i have my bass i got vocal got good microphones and guitars when we're talking about making sure that you know we're not we're not creating too great of a signal um to where we're getting clipping if we are up there or let's not say clipped but we've got a pretty strong signal or even a really weak one is there one of those instruments that tends to suffer more as a result of that hmm that's a good question um yeah, I mean, vocals, there's a little distortion on a guitar. If it clips a little bit, people might think it's on purpose. Right. On a vocal, probably not. On a bass, definitely not. You know, so on a bass, bass is hard to record. And if you're clipping or you're getting close to clipping and just clipping occasionally, you're going to hear that. Mm-hmm. And the thing about bass, the way the human ear works, if I played a low E on a bass guitar, I would need, I'm not even sure, uh, two, three, four, five times more actual energy, joules of energy for the human ear to hear that at the same volume of, that's say, the high E on a guitar. Wow. So, you just blew our mind with cool. jewels. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you have to, when you're mixing, the bass is just much, much louder mm-hmm. because our ears needed to be so for us to, to hear it at, at an appropriate level. Because it's a lower frequency. Yeah, so that, that can create some strange isms in mastering you know in particular right. or it makes it seems to be the hardest thing to control hundred percent yeah and make sound right that's the most energy that's the yeah. one i find myself compressing the most when i'm tracking well it's it's 
the, the dynamic, at least my opinion as a musician, is the dynamics on a bass are very hard to yeah. control. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. much harder than on a guitar. But in when we're talking about taking that into um, uh, garage band, so like if you're not if you're not live micing a bass amp, and you're using the 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 bass modules in in garage band, which is you know typically what I'll do because I, I don't have a, a good bass rig at home. Um, if I'm doing that, hundred percent, like I, I it is so hard to go to dial in the sound that I actually want, even with all those variables. And I've always found that to be strange. So what you're, you yeah, know. well, I would say, um, there's two, there's two things you can do when you're recording. You can sound good or you can sound unique. Mm-hmm. And very often <laughs> unique is better mm-hmm. because you don't have to have a specific tone. If it sounds a little funny on purpose, that's awesome. And when we think about amazing records, were the Beatles good or were they unique? At the time, they were probably both, you know, right. but they were definitely unique. And you, you talk about like, uh, you know, you say you want a revolution. Right. That guitar was crazy. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Didn't um, they actually like cut the speaker or something? Like I think that? so. Yeah. That distortion. guitar was yeah. crazy. So did it sound was good? Kinks. kinks. I think kinks, you're right. Kinks cut up their speakers. They all the razor blades. Bass, yeah. Yeah. Or uh, uh, Motown, you know, boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Those are weird sounding recordings. You know, if you had never heard those before, you'd be like, what is going on here? These are strange, but they're awesome and they're unique. And there's a certain appeal to different. And you, th- Bonnie Vare, case in point, who the hell had ever sounded like that when Bonnie Vare put out that first record? Or Sufjan Stevens, when he put out his first record, you know, that he recorded with terrible equipment in his room. Uh, it sounded unique. Mm-hmm. So I think um, when well, there's an authentic, there's a there's a perceived yes. authenticity about low fineness. Yeah, you know. Well, and, and, and that could manifest itself in low fi or it could manifest itself in just a really strange sounding guitar. Yeah, or a really strange sounding um, the Bee Gees. You know, staying alive, staying alive. You know, there's oh, we love them. The, yeah, no, we we knew what you meant. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, whether the, you, might, you can argue about whether they're good or not, but they're unique. And that's definitely had a, a big impact right. on why they were compelling. One, okay. So Where, I, let me let me just grab this real yeah. quick. So I, th- I think what I'm saying is it's so much easier to make a great sounding, unique recording mm. than it is to make a great sounding recording that's got you know the exact same bass tone that James Jamerson uses for Motown and the, the same Stevie Ray Vaughan electric guitar Strat. Tone, mm-hmm. you know, like when you're trying to get these perfect tones emulating certain artists, that is crazy, crazy hard, right? To come up with a unique, impossible. it's almost impossible, yeah, yeah. So, if you come up with the unique tones and you make your song kind of weird, be yourself, Ben, be yourself, yeah, I think that speaks to people more. There's an inherent message of it's okay for me to be different, and people freaking love that. I freaking love yeah. that, but as an artist, that it can be totally crippling because when you do something you're like in in my head I think it's going to sound great like this but then you hear it and you're like that doesn't sound like stuff that I'm familiar with and I I think it doesn't make you a not more uh, a a less artistic person yeah it just means that you have a a bit of a barrier in front of you that um, you know 
isn't allow may not allow you to be as um, as instantly free of that. Yeah, you know. Well, I think the important thing to remember is, is if you're emulating other artists, let's say you love Radiohead, you know what Tom York is doing? He's trying to make weird sounds. Right. So if you want to emulate Tom York, don't emulate the songs or the sounds that Tom York is making. Emulate the fact that Tom York is trying to find a unique voice. Yeah, and totally. I mean, name a musician that's freaking awesome and that is universally believed to be so that's not doing that. Yeah. Like everyone, you know, that's sage advice. Yeah. Be weird and your recordings will be significantly better as a result of it. Word. Cool. All right. Well, I mean, we can't, uh, that's a good place to land right there. (laughs) It's inspiring. I mean, it makes me want to go home and, and, and play tonight. So that's, that's cool. Um, dude, I so appreciate you swinging by and, and doubling up on this. Um, we'll for sure have you back. That sounds um, great. And uh much, much thanks. And uh I guess we'll we'll put um put your link cool in the in the Facebook forum. I said form again. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Well you said zip file, so we're, ease up on that. We're, we're aging ourselves. Zip disk. <laughs> yeah, those were those purple things were awesome. Yeah, my quest the... drive back in the day. <laughs> had oh, over hundred and fifty megabytes. <laughs> All right. These knobs are done. Oh, that's it for these knobs. Please join us on facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash guitar knobs and tell us what you think and share your stories and guitar stuff along with ours. You can also find us at twitter.com forward slash guitar underscore knobs and also at our website at guitarknobs.podbean.com.